This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, good to have you along on this podcast. Now, myself, Mark Lloyd, together with guitarist Kel, just love to talk music. And we took that passion to chat with the incredible Sam Brown, the 80s superstar Sam Brown. Had a big hit with a song called Stop, but has also sang backup vocals with the likes of Eric Clapton, George Harrison and Jules Holland. She has so many great stories to tell you about. You're going to love this podcast if you are into your music. And do join me live, of course, on the show weeknights, 8 through 10, right here on on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show and a very special show, let me tell you, on Dubai Eye 103.8 coming up right now. It's myself, Mark Lloyd, together with guitarist Kel, who's joining us for this interview. I know, Kel, you're super excited for this one. I am, yeah. I've been a <laughs> huge, huge fan of this artist um, pretty much right from day one. And uh, yeah, very excited. So uh, we'll say welcome to Sam Brown joining us here in Dubai on Dubai Eye 103.8. How are you doing, Sam? Very well, Mark and Kel. Lovely to meet you both uh, from a very chilly England. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the weather, and uh, it's it's a lovely kind of um, warm Dubai that we're, we're chatting to you from. But uh, anyway, um, as well as the weather, we want to talk about your incredible music career. And was it always destined for you, Sam, that you know music was going to be where you were heading with you know the likes of of, of your dad, your mum and dad, Joe and Vicky Brown? Well, yes, it was. It was a house full of musicians all the time. Um, I didn't ever think of becoming an accountant or anything like that. I did <laughs> just sit there and while away the hours, uh, plonking away and, and having a sing. And, and I started working very young with my mum, who's a backing vocalist. And in those days, you know, you do three or four backing vocal sessions a day. So you do 10 to 1, 2 to 5, 6 to 9, and then maybe one in the evening as well. So... It was a busy time and it was a great way to to learn to sing in a way and discover my voice, you know. Yeah. And how much um, on your voice, how much was of an influence was your mum on your voice? I've listened to songs like Soldier Boy uh, from Small Faces, which I think was that one of the earlier records you were on at a young age as well? Yeah, it was. Um, I think I was 13 when I did wow. the session um, and it came out, I think, in 1978. But, um, and mum was on it. But I, I'd met Steve Marriott because my dad had one of the first multi-track recording studios in, in the country. Oh, so Steve had worked at my dad's studio and I met lots of people through the studio, obviously. But I was only little. I was, you know, it was quite small. But I'd known Steve for a while and he was really lovely to me. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, so I just went along. My mum was on the session, to be fair. Cal, you know, it wasn't just, <laughs> I wasn't going in there as a 13 year old, you know. Into... Hi, me, I'll have a go. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what your household was like, Sam. I mean, you know, having a famous uh, dad, especially, who, who was really big and influential in the 60s music scene. I mean, you know, were all the names popping in and out your house? And was it just like uh, every famous person you could think of were coming around to the Browns household? Uh, there were parties, but um, <laughs> but my dad were both from sort of you know quite humble beginnings. I think my mum was from Liverpool, um, and uh, and and my dad was from the East End of London, from yeah. quite a 
or background really. Um, so dad started working very young, but I think um, really for me, the thing is, is people looking on sort of think of it as this kind of showbiz type thing, but actually it was very normal. Dad was quite a sort of strict, almost Victorian type dad, believe it or not. I know <laughs> cheeky chappy Joe Brown, but yeah. he's had very old fashioned ideas about life, which are really strong and good ideas, you know, like a really good work ethic. And uh, he, my dad does carpentry and he just likes to do a job really well. So he's he's very old fashioned in that way. So our home life was actually quite normal in some ways. And then, of course, not in others. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound dull at all. <laughs> and in, in terms of, um, of especially com- coming in to stop, uh, not only the, the single, which was a huge, huge, huge single everywhere, uh, but the album. So how did all those kind of influences come about and what led to that to that uh, particular song and that particular album? Um, so I'd been so I started working when I was 12. So I'd already done a lot of music and was very um uh, you know, I knew I knew people in the music industry, but what I didn't know anything about was the sort of industry side of music. So I signed a record deal and it took a couple of years for everything to come together. And then along with that, I signed a publishing deal because I signed to A&M and they have a sister publishing company who were called Rondor. Hmm. Um, and the guy who was the managing director of Rondor, Stuart Hornell, is a lovely Scottish bloke. And he said, I'm going to send you on a writing trip. And he sent me out to Los Angeles. So I was, I think I was 19 or 20. Wow. And, and they put me in a little flat. And uh, and I wrote with loads of different people. And one of the people I wrote with was a guy called Greg Sutton, who used to play bass with Bob Dylan and yeah. played in, I don't know, do you remember Lone Justice with Marie McKee, yeah, that, yeah. that group? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so... Uh, I met Greg and we got on really well. So out of all the people I worked with, he was the one I really clicked with. And and I was driving along the Pacific Coast Highway, you know, as you do. (laughs) And uh, and this, just the chorus of the uh, the song just was in my head because I was writing lots of stuff. And I got back to the little apartment and I started writing it. And Greg then came in and helped me out with some chords in the middle eight. and, uh, And we finished it together. Let's hear that song stop. depend on you I gave you all the love I had in me Now I find you lied And I can't believe it's true Wrapped in our arms I see you across the street I can't help but wonder She knows what's going on Oh, you talk of love But you don't know how it feels When you realize That you're not the only one
time I've tried to walk away. It's not that easy when your soul is torn in two. So I just resign myself to it every day. Now all I can do is to leave it up to you. Talk radio station. This is the night shift with Mark Lloyd on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are in conversation with the incredible Sam Brown here on Dubai Eye 103.8. We just heard her big hit song Stop There, of course. Sam, was there uh, any pressure from the record companies and management um, following that big hit to come up with a good follow up? Um, I, I think there could have been, but um, I'm not really somebody who responds to pressure. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, as a musician and a writer, you can only do what you can do, can't you? And I, yeah. I wrote several stock Mark twos. There are, you know, I wrote at least three, I think they were really good soul ballads. <clears throat> One of them being a song called I Forgive You with Maria McKee. Yeah. Which we had the idea for. But it's definitely a stronger stop, but it just you know, it just never took off. I think trying to emulate something you've already done is not is not really the way to go. Um, so would it be a fair assumption as well like as as a musician being brought up with musicians and having so many different people coming in and out of the house when you were younger going through this experience of of going to LA working with with other singers on songwriting it's a case of right well actually I kind of want to explore a little bit more of what I can come out with myself musically so did you find it was kind of less stifling to kind of do more of your own thing rather than as you say do stop version two three four and five yeah, I think the thing was the stop wasn't indicative of my songwriting at the time anyway. Yeah. Um, stop was really a one-off that sort of just happened because of the circumstances where I was. Um, I'd had a lot of experience with singing with really fantastic blues singers, uh, so like Madeline Bell and, and uh, wow. Russell and Joanne. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so that so my songwriting my that I did on my own was always in the background. It's just that I think the record company really picked up on Stop because it was this really strong blues soul ballad. So I guess I kind of went back to writing on my own, maybe you know, to the second album and, and particularly the third album. I'm just looking as well, uh, Sam, at your backing singing uh, career. I mean, you, you've been behind some pretty big names. George Harrison, Pink Floyd, Jules Holland. Tell me about that side of the business. And is it very much a different approach to be a good backing singer? Oh, absolutely. It, it definitely is, Mark. It's sort of, um, it, it's a real craft, I think. You know, there was a film recently about the backing singers in America. I can't yeah. remember what it was. I think it's, is it Three Steps to Stardom, something like that? Uh, yeah 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 but you know if I ever got my voice back um and I was told you can only do one thing one aspect of your work that you've done I would say backing vocals because it is you know you don't have the pressure of being up the front but it is the most fantastic musical experience to sing with other people and to get a blend with other people so you kind of tend to find that you work with the same people a lot so mum and I work together a lot and um, many other, Margot Buchanan, I work with lots of different backing vocalists who obviously aren't terribly famous, but they're very well known and, and well respected in the music industry. And it's such fun doing backing vocals. I mean, we, I worked with, obviously worked with George Harrison more as a friend through my mum and dad, I think. Um, but Eric Clapton, I met a lot doing these. Do you remember there was a phase in the 80s and 90s of these big supergroup charity yeah. gigs like the Princess Trust and all that? So, me and mum used to do backing vocals on quite a lot of those. And it's just, I mean, fantastic fun. It's very relaxed and it's a really great musical experience, you know. Uh, we want to ask you as well about this feeling. Uh, Kel, you particularly wanted to highlight this tune as it's got a rather famous guitar player on it. Yeah, again, this is, uh, again, from 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 your first album. But, um, yeah, I think he, he pops up on two, two of the tracks on your first album. This Feeling was the song that kind of introduced me to, to your music and I've followed it ever since. But uh, yeah, this, this particular guitarist, uh, how, did, how did that collaboration come around? Um, well, he uh, was uh, a friend of my mum and dad, so he was around the house a lot. And he heard me playing one of my songs on the piano once. He said, you know, come to the studio and we'll record a few demos, which we did. And he was very supportive in that way. And um, then I, I asked him to play on the album. Uh, well, I think it was Pete's idea, actually. He said, oh, we should try and get David Gilmore in to play the solo, you know, play a couple of yeah. solos. And, and we asked and he did. And uh, he's very laid back, David. He's, you know, so he, he was great. He was made a few suggestions, which we didn't take any notice of. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear that track, This Feeling. It features uh, Dave Gilmore on guitar.
Well, there it is, this feeling. We are in conversation with the incredible talent of, of Sam Brown, um, an absolutely wonderful singer, weather out front, weather as a backing singer. I must say, uh, Sam, I saw a clip of you um, just a few days ago uh, preparing for this interview, and uh, you're out there with Jules Holland and Eric Clapson's by your side. That must have been quite a moment. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is, you know, they're just people, aren't they? And yeah. particularly... They're, they're old blokes, really, aren't they? You know, Eric's an old bloke. He's a um, and I, I don't know him very well. I've met him on uh, quite a few occasions, and he's always very kind and lovely. And in particular, I think you're talking about the concert for George, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that was, I mean, you know, people have said to me, what are the highlights of your musical career? And that that is one of them. Yeah. I mean, it was just filled with love you know the whole I mean to to the, the Albert Hall was transformed there was incense there were kind of silk hangings everywhere it was amazing <laughs> beautiful first half with Anushka yeah um the classical Indian music and then just this incredible band as you say of Eric Clapton um Ringo Starr Paul McCartney Danny Harrison uh with Eric put it all together and so many other people, Billy Preston, Jeff Lynne. Oh, that's got to be a standout gig of all time, hasn't it? It was. It was incredible. Um, and I feel incredibly fortunate to have been a part of it. This is The Night Shift with Mark Lloyd. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. We are in conversation with the singer Sam Brown, who's had such an incredible career, whether it be as a backing vocalist or as a lead singer. And we asked her which she preferred, backing vocalist or lead vocalist? Um, well, I think that the doing lead vocals, that was, that was the difficult part for me because I'd been singing... BVs for so long Mm. Um, and I was very comfortable with it and comfortable in my own skin and comfortable with the people I worked with and and confident you know I I was it was my job so um, I loved doing it Uh, the lead singing thing you know being up at the front uh, musically it wasn't a problem but I think doing PR was something that was completely alien to me I'd never done any of that I wasn't very confident in the way I looked um I didn't like being that, you know, having all that focus on yeah, me. Being a star. Well, yes, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, I never really think of myself as a star. I just think of myself as a person, <laughs> a professional <laughs> musician of the highest caliber. I would say. Now, let's come on to uh, the album uh, number eight. And what's the significance of this title? Okay, so the um, after my gosh, what was it? It was reboot. So it's my fifth album, and I was doing some uh, gigs, and someone came up to me at the end and said, "It's really clever what you're doing with the titles of the albums." And I said, mm, "I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about." <laughs> he said, "Well, stop. S. April Moon. A. Forty-three minutes. M. Box B. Reboot. R." So I was, I was like, "Oh gosh." <laughs> name and I had absolutely I genuinely had no idea it wasn't done deliberately and so then of course I had loads of um suggestions for you know the O 
Um, and so I made that album and then I lost my voice. So uh, um, then it was quite a long time before I did anything else. But yeah, so so it is actually spelling my name and the N is the is the last letter of my name. That's not to say there won't be any more records, though. <laughs> Very glad to hear that. I mean, that, that must have been an emotional time. You know, you, you say I lost my voice. You were a professional singer and of the highest caliber. I mean, what was it like to go through that, um, you know, that, that pain of losing your voice? It's very. It was very upsetting, and I think really the 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 thing that was most difficult was dealing with depression, which I think a lot of people in the world now have. Yeah, and of course, yeah. our feelings and emotional state is, is talked about a lot. Um, but in my family, we talk about things, but we don't kind of have everything on display all the time, you know. So it's, it, I think, dealing with being depressed because it's a, like an underlying thing all the time has been really difficult from a the point of view of of getting to a point where I wanted to make music again um I think you know I teach ukulele and I love it but it's not a creative thing for me so it's not creating music and I kind of already started to have a go at writing a few bits and pieces but all the vocals were very very low and a bit out of tune um and I think I just got to a point where it's like well you know I started writing with Danny and and we we wrote a couple of songs and and um and they were kind of all right and then on the third and fourth song that we wrote this is during lockdown i thought i'll stick it in the auto tune and see what it sounds like and actually it just made the whole thing really come to life and it was like oh that actually works you know yeah so it wasn't easy to do those vocals um and there there were tears and i had to sort of just be quite pragmatic about it and say just sing it once as best you can and then put it straight into the auto tune and i did it and obviously it got easier like anything it was easier and easier the more i did it because i knew there'd be a good result so yeah it was a bit of a process though did you find it cathartic as well because it's interesting you touch on the point behind it rather than it being um something that physically happened with with your vocal cords it's it's something else which contributed to that so we got tracks like okay and injured etc did you find that the process of rewriting again well, it was incredibly brave to be able to do that after after such a period. But did you find it a real cathartic process as well? Um, yeah, I think it's in my nature to write about what I know and to write about. Um, I mean, you know, the sort of angst artist is something that I probably left behind quite a long time ago. But of course, when we have sort of dramatic experiences, mm. as I think I have with losing my voice, mm. then it's bound to come out in the lyrics, isn't it? And I think. Yes, it was a very cathartic experience um, and and it was a process and it was a journey and all of those things sound very cheesy. But so everybody in life goes through things like that, difficult times, and you've got two choices, as my friend Margot says. You either, you know, you fall or you, you stand up and, and hold your head up high and get on with it and, and make the best of it. So I hope that the album will inspire other people to try and find ways through things that might not be perhaps the most obvious path but you know just try just try and because it's rewarding and even if you try and fail at least you've tried we're going to hear a tune called doll what's the story behind this one um <laughs> well uh, there isn't really a story as such i think it's uh, it's and it's not even social comment but it's about i suppose it's about how people present themselves and particularly young people on social media 
Um, and as your listeners will hear, you know, it's why do you want to look like a doll? Why do I want to look like a doll? Because I'm the same as everyone else. I want to look nice, you know, when I go out. So it's just asking a question. And, and I hope no one thinks that it's passing judgment. But um, things are so geared towards what you look like now. And you know what? Sometimes just doesn't matter what you look like. It's it's more about who you are. Here it is, Doll from the new album, number eight. That's a doll from our special guest. We are in conversation with the one and only um, Sam Brown. I mean, looking forward to the future. You said you're teaching a lot of ukulele at the moment. So what else are you up to, Sam? I know I often joke with my with my pupils. I'm like Pink Floyd to ukulele teacher. You know, it's a, it's a steep fall, isn't it? <laughs> but um, uh, well, I'm still teaching. I've actually had a couple of months off because I went to Australia in January and we're just in the middle of moving house. You can probably see the brackets on the wall behind me. Well, right. your listeners can't. But, yes. uh, so um, I'm back to work week after next and I teach about, I would say, about 150 people a week. So I have eight classes, uh, two in Dorset where I live, three in Oxfordshire where I used to live one monthly class in London and three online classes. So if anyone wants ukulele lessons online, you can look up the fabulous ukulele club and you'll find me. It's, it's um, funny, my son has been asking me to buy my ukulele, fancies having a go at it. And his inspiration came from Billie Eilish, who he's a mad fan of. And of course, she um, does a little bit of strumming on ukulele. As an instrument, is it, you know, um, one that you can pick up quite easily, Sam? Yeah, I think most people can pick it up. I mean, like anything, you do have to apply yourself. Some people pick it up 
got it straight away. Some people pick it up and they're just completely confounded by it and it doesn't work for them. And some people pick it up and work hard at it and are successful. Uh, but it's a great instrument. And I think, I mean, you're probably both slightly of my generation in that, you know, the thing I've remembered most was Tiptoe Through the Tulips, which is really <laughs> tiny term, yeah. great record, but it is kind of jokey. But you can play anything on the ukulele, as you know. My dad uh, very successfully proved with "I'll See You in My Dreams," which is a, a really lovely old song. Um, so you can play really difficult things, you can play really easy things, and it suits everyone. And you, as Dad said, you can't help but be happy when you when you've got a ukulele in your hand. Well, Sam, you've been lovely to interview. Um, really great to have a chat with you, and we wish you all the best, Sam. And um, thank you so much for spending your time with us on Dubai I One Three Point Eight. It's been an absolute pleasure. What a great way to start my day. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.